The following audio is from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them up with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. Luke, chapter 19. As I mentioned, this is an important time in the life of the church. We historically celebrate this Sunday is Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter. And it's significant because there's a great deal going on in the gospel accounts for us. In fact, all four gospels record this event that we'll be looking at here in Luke. And also we'll take a look in John chapter 12, where it's also recorded. But what's interesting in the gospels is as you read through the gospels, a lot of the gospel coverage is kind of the highlight reel of Jesus's life and ministry and teaching. Until you get to this week in the story, this final week of Jesus's life, the story really slows down. In other words, a lot more detail is given to us from the gospels. So much of all four gospels is very heavy in this last week and testimony of what Jesus was accomplishing. And it begins here with this entry into Jerusalem. This marks the beginning of what was the Passover week in Jesus' day. And of course, the Jews celebrated Passover every year. Passover was the celebration of God's bringing them out of Egypt so many years before, out of the bondage and slavery of Egypt. And remember, they would have a Passover meal. They would offer a Passover lamb, celebrating and and remembering the Passover lamb originally when they would put the blood over the doorpost. And then the firstborn of the land that was taken, they were passed over. Israel was spared. And the the blood of the lamb marked and covered the household. And some great significance, of course, not only for Israel to reflect back, but even for us now, the typology of Christ seen in the Passover lamb. The writer of uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul, would say, Christ has become our Passover lamb. We have now been delivered from the bondage of sin by Christ's sacrifice. So a lot going on, a lot of religious activity surrounding these, these stories. And the whole nation would come to celebrate Passover together. The the city would swell up well over 2 million people. And this is a particularly exciting time because Jesus is coming to Passover. His reputation has now gone before him. He's performed many miracles through the land in these recent years. And most recently, he has raised Lazarus from the dead. And that word is spreading. So they're coming to Passover, and they're coming with expectation. Jesus, this miracle worker, this one who may be the Messiah, will be coming to Passover. And so they're coming, and great expectation is in the air, and you see it even in the account for us as we record it in Luke chapter 19. Pick it up with me in verse 29. And it came to pass, when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. 
But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. Jesus is prepared for this occasion. He sends his disciples to retrieve this colt, this donkey. Now, it's not because Jesus was tired of walking and he couldn't finish the last little bit of the journey into Jerusalem and he needed someone to carry him in. No, Jesus is conscious of this moment for his ministry, this moment that has been prophesied for thousands of years before him. You see, it had been prophesied that the Messiah would come into Jerusalem riding a colt in a humble, lowly manner, not on a chariot, not on a horse, victorious, but rather come humbly into town riding on a donkey, but that he would be the Messiah. He would be the King of Kings. And Jesus is fulfilling those very prophetic words over his life by coming in in this moment. Jesus is mindful of his ministry and what God is accomplishing at this time. But something interesting He says, listen, when you get to the the guys that own the colt and they see you just kind of untying their colt and they say, hey, hey, where are you going with my, my donkey? You tell them the Lord has need of him. And it's interesting that Jesus would need anything. I mean, this master, this creator, this God in the flesh, he has need in this particular moment of a donkey to be given to him to ride in upon to fulfill prophetic prophecy. And here's the thing about the Lord. Although he in and of himself needs nothing, he has invited us to partner in his kingdom work in the earth. And in a sense, he has need of us. You see, God didn't send angels to come and declare the message of the gospel. God has called men and women to be messengers of his truth. And he has need of us to be available for him to use for whatever purpose he has designed for his kingdom work. Pastor Chuck Smith used to say often, God's not looking for ability. God's looking for availability. God has all the ability. He just needs those hearts that are available to him. The Lord has need of you today. What is it that the Lord would ask of you? Well, are you thinking about that? Well, I know that I need him, and I know all the things that I need for him to do, but this idea, well, but Lord, what do you need? What would you ask of me? I'm mindful of Isaiah the prophet. You remember when he saw that vision of heaven opened up, and he saw the angelic scene and the worship, and he was so humbled. And then he heard a voice, remember? Who will go for us? Who will we send? This, the, the, the voice of heaven saying, we want to send message. We want to send prophetic truth to our people. Who will go? Who will deliver this truth for us? And Isaiah, those famous words, Lord, here am I. Send me. I'm available. I want you to use my life. Jesus is looking for those that are available. He has need. God has need to advance his kingdom here today. And when we say he has need, not as though, you know, he's desperate and really, you know, oh, I just, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? No, rather the invitation. I want you to be a partner in this with me. Are you available? Will you allow me to use your resource, 
your time, your talent, your priorities? Are you aligned with what Jesus is longing to do in the earth? These men had opportunity to participate in a prophetic moment, and we have it for us recorded. All three, three of the four Gospels talk about this exchange. The Lord has need of this animal. Now, here's what I want you to think about as we're looking through the story here today. What's going on amongst the nation is a lot of religious activity, and the people are excited, and they have their own expectation and anticipation of what's happening. But you'll notice Jesus has almost a completely separate agenda. Jesus is operating on his own program. And I've been reading the Gospels of late. This has been just kind of personally. And, and I'm just amazed afresh and anew at the life, the power, the love, the wisdom of Jesus. Uh, just reading about Jesus. You know, when, when you expect him to say this, he says, so, he says this. When you expect him to react this way, he reacts this way. It's almost like he was just on a completely different plane, wasn't he? And you see that through the Gospels. And even here, even in this last entry, you're going to see that Jesus is, is working a completely different agenda and program. Even his disciples did not fully understand all that was going on, all that he was up to, until later. John tells us his disciples, it was later that the Holy Spirit caused them to reflect on these events and began to understand what God was up to. I've entitled today's message, Jesus Through the Noise. Jesus Through the Noise. You know, it's easy for us to get caught up in religious activity. It's easy for us to get busy, even in ministry. Oh, we're, you know, we're just busy being Christians. But I don't want to get so busy. I don't want to get so distracted with the program that I forget to hear that still small voice of Jesus. What is Jesus saying? Lord, what's on, what's on your heart? It is all about Jesus. Jesus is the essence of our faith. Jesus and my relationship with him, that's what I want resounding in my heart. That's what I want to hear every day. The, the word, the heart, the thought of Jesus. Here's Jesus. We see that he has need. That's the first thing you can think about. Jesus has need of you today. Are you available? Are you completely surrendered to him? Let's look on in the story. Pick it up with me, verse 36. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you, if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Another beautiful kind of exchange here. We see Jesus. Now he's coming down off the Mount of Olives. If you've been to Israel, you know the kind of the landscape. The Mount of Olives sits up overlooking the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem is elevated also. So there's this valley between the Mount of Olives and the city, the Kidron Valley. And you come down the Mount of Olives to enter in and up back up into the city. 
And it's not that far. It's not a, a very great distance, but it is a very panoramic view and a very kind of, if you're there, if you have a chance to go, I mean, it's very moving for the believer because we know this is the road Jesus came into the city. This is the very uh, landscape he covered. And they're, they're excited about Jesus coming into the city. They've seen the miracles. They're beginning to declare these prophetic uh, messianic praises about him. Jesus is coming. Uh, and we know John tells us that they put palm leaves down before him. Palm Sunday comes from this entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem. And they are, they're excited about what God is doing. And even the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they become jealous. They don't, they don't think Jesus is the Messiah. They, they say, hey, hey, tell these people, do you hear what they're saying? This is inappropriate. There's always somebody that looks to tamp down worship. But here again, we get a look at the heart of Jesus. Jesus defends the worshiper. Jesus says, no, this is appropriate. In fact, if they keep silent, even the creation itself will begin to cry out. This is the moment of history where God is working redemption for mankind. God is saving man in this moment. This is leading up to the crucifixion and resurrection. All of history has been awaiting this moment. And today, all of history reflects upon that moment. The, the, uh, the book of Romans tells us that all of creation is groaning. We're awaiting for the fullness of redemption. It's not yet arrived in full measure. There's more to come. Aren't you glad? There's more that God has planned in terms of, of finishing and completing the work of redemption. But we see here the heart of Jesus. Jesus will always defend the worshiper. You remember the, the sinful woman that came into the Pharisee's home and poured out her tears on the feet of Jesus, weeping and worshiping at his feet. And the Pharisee, the religious Pharisee, thinking to himself, wow, if this man was truly a prophet, he would know that this is a very sinful woman that he's letting make this scene here at his feet. And Jesus, of course, reading the Pharisee's mind, said, you know, who do you think will love more? The one that's been forgiven just a little or the one that's been forgiven much? Simon the Pharisee said, well, I suspect the one that's been forgiven much. He says, that's correct. You see this woman? She's been forgiven much. Her sins are many. She's been forgiven, and that's why her love and her worship is so profound and so expressive. He commends her. Jesus will always defend sincere worship. There will always be someone to resist it. There will always be someone to judge it. But there will also be a Jesus who welcomes it. It's appropriate to worship the Lord. This, again, hearing Jesus through the noise, are you a worshiper? Are you, do you love, do you spend time just as, at his feet on occasion? Remember Mary brought in that expensive uh, oil and alabaster, broke it at his feet and, pu and put it upon it, anointed him. And remember some of the disi disciples were, were like, oh gosh, such an expensive waste. And Jesus said, no, she's doing this as a memorial to me. Whenever this gospel is shared, this act of worship will be remembered. And we have that today, even in our gospels. Jesus defends the worshipers because Jesus loves us. You see, Jesus is looking for worship because worship is the expression of love 
that he's worthy of because he has so loved you. We love him because he what? First loved us. My worship is a reflection of his goodness and mercy and love to me. Of course he would welcome my love, my honor, because he has been so good and gracious to me. You want to know what's important to Jesus? He has need of you, and he longs for a relationship of love that is expressed in worship. Let's look on, verse 41, back to our text in Luke. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. This struck me uh, just afresh this year as kind of preparing this. All this religious activity, this celebration of Passover, the multitude of people cheering and laying palm leaves before him, this celebration, this wonderful kind of seemingly great, great moment, and Jesus is weeping over the city. I mean, talk about a different level of thought and a different place spiritually. See, Jesus understood that much of what was going on was misguided. You see, they were, they were sincerely worshiping the Messiah, but in their mind, they had Jesus coming to establish a political deliverance for them. They thought this is going to become something good for us right now. This Messiah is going to throw off the yoke of Roman occupation, and we're going to be rising up again as a nation. This is going to be good for us. This is the reason many were worshiping him. They misunderstood the mission of his first coming. Even his disciples had a hard time seeing this. But Jesus knows. Jesus knows that in truth, the nation and especially its religious leaders would ultimately reject him. And that this would bring a judgment. What Jesus prophesied would happen just 30, 40 years later. In 70 AD, Rome would bring Jerusalem to the ground. And the, the, the destruction would come. But Jesus, seeing that, is weeping. And he's weeping over this missed opportunity. You didn't see it. You didn't know the things that make for peace. I came to offer salvation. I came to offer mercy and relationship. And all you could think about was your own preconceived ideas of what I should be doing, what God was up to. And you missed it. You missed the true ministry of what Christ was, had come to accomplish, that which makes for peace. What makes for peace? The cross, the blood of Jesus, forgiveness of sins. This is what makes for peace, not political accolades, not some victory, not some help right now, but no, peace with God through the mercy of God offered to us through Christ. And they missed it. And I couldn't help but think, Lord, I, I don't want to miss my time of visitation. I don't want to miss what you've come in my time and in my heart and in my generation to do. This is my time. 
This is our visitation. Jesus lives in our hearts today. You and I are the body of Christ in this generation. What does God want to do? Oh, we have plans. He's going to do this. Maybe he'll do that. And we have this expectation, but it's not always aligned with what God is up to. No, Lord, I, I don't want to miss. I, I don't want to misunderstand the, the timing. I don't want to miss this offer of peace in my life, through my life. What does the Lord have for us? Like Esther, Mordecai told her, you know, it may be that you are here for such a time as this. Are you missing what God longs to do? Are you preoccupied? Are you distracted? Do you have your own ideas about what you want God to do? Or are you truly listening to the voice of Jesus saying, Jesus, what do you long to do? What would you have for me? How do you want to work in my life and in my time? Let's not miss our time of visitation. Let's be sensitive. Jesus is weeping. Everyone else is celebrating Jesus. His heart is grieving. Let's look on. He goes, verse 45, Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Jesus comes into the temple. It's Passover. This is the second occasion that we see Jesus cleansing the temple. He's done this before. But he comes back into the temple and he sees this same merchandising going on in the temple courts. You see, when the, when the pilgrims came in to celebrate Passover, they were to come and bring offerings, an animal to be sacrificed. And so the high priest, the religious leaders, they set up a whole marketplace out in the court courtyard of the temple, what was known as the court of the Gentiles. And this was set up. And so, hey, if, in case you get here without an animal, we'll sell you one. In fact, we'd love to sell you one. Oh, you brought an animal? Well, we need to inspect that one. Mm, this one's a little deficient, but hey, good for, lucky for you, we've got one for you. And this turned into a merchandising, a racket this became like the, the main financial income for the high priest and the religious leaders. And there were money changers because if you were going to bring an offering, you had to pay and do everything in the temple currency. Oh, you don't have any? No worries. Step right over here. We have money changers. We'll convert your currency. Of course, we do take a commission. So when Jesus came in and saw all this, he turns over the tables, he drives them out. No wonder they wanted to put him to death. They were, he was getting right in where it hurts. He was touching the financial income of these religious leaders and all that they had set up. Now, Jesus is not just offended that they're taking advantage of this religious holiday and trying to make profit on it. But he's also offended for God, the zeal of God's house, because it's supposed to be a house of prayer. Not only is what you're doing wrong, it would be wrong in or outside the temple taking advantage like this, but especially in the house of God. This is where people can come and worship and pray. And this was the court of the Gentiles. This was the place within the temple for all the nations to come and worship. There were some parts of the temple campus that were only available to those that were Jewish. You had to be 
Jewish by birth to participate in some of the temple worship. But the court of the Gentiles, which was the largest part of the temple campus, this was open for all. Anyone can come and pray and worship and fellowship with the true and living God, the God of Israel. So not only were they taking advantage of the holiday financially, but they were completely cluttering the heart of God's open door to the nation. I want people to come and find me. I want people to come in my house and pray and meet with me. I love them. I'm saving. My heart is open. My, my heart is open to the nations. And God's heart has not changed. God's heart has not changed. Oh, that when people come to fellowship in his temple today, that, he, that they would find a house of prayer, that they would find an open door. Come meet God. Come seek God. Come experience the love of God in Christ. Where is the temple today? The temple of the Holy Spirit lives in the heart of the believer. And the temple is wherever you and I gather. Peter said, we're like living stones being built together, forming a temple, a tabernacle, a place for God to dwell. God's house is where you and I meet. This is God's house this morning. One of God's houses. Oh, that this would be a house of what? Of prayer, communion with God, worship, allowing God to speak to us through his word. We can get distracted even as churches. We can get off in the, in the performance, in the presentation, in the, in the busyness. And listen, there are good things, but there, there can never be anything that would distract from the main thing. And that is that God so loved the world that he gave his son and that he invites all to come and pray. Meet with God. Offer up your prayer of confession. Be forgiven. Come into the house of God and be restored. Come and find a loving God with open arms saying, come. Come to the house of God and, have ta- and sit at table with him where he breaks bread and offers communion and says, come. Remember me. Fellowship with me. Receive from me the heart of Jesus. Jesus through the noise, church. What is the heart of God? It is a heart inviting the world to come. Turn with me to John chapter 12. I want to close with just a portion of John's account of this same event. John chapter 12. As I mentioned, this triumphal entry, this coming to Jerusalem, this Passion Week, all four of the Gospels spend a great deal of time recording it for us. But John gives a couple of different uh, insights, some perspective, some things that the others don't catch. And John in chapter 12 and verse 20, he lets us know of Others that were wanting to meet Jesus during this time of his entrance into Jerusalem. So it's the same event, but John points on out for us, John chapter 12, verse 20. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. John lets us know, it's kind of this little side story to the main story, 
Not only were the Jews there in force to celebrate the Passover and declaring Jesus as their Messiah, but there were also Greeks. Now, maybe these were just Greek-speaking Jews at the holiday, or maybe these were non-Jewish Gentiles that were coming and also wanting to meet Jesus. Sir, we would see Jesus. There is this great draw to Christ. And so they come and they, they approach a couple of his disciples. Maybe they had an inside contact, but we, for whatever reason, look, verse 22, Philip came and told Andrew. And in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus, hey, Jesus, um, there's some guys here that want to meet you. Now, this was a celebrity moment. Everybody wanted to meet Jesus in this particular occasion. No, but these guys are Greeks. Uh, These guys are maybe outside of the normal crowd. Uh, They also want to meet you. And so Jesus responds to them. Interesting how he answers. Look with me. Verse 23. But Jesus answered them, answering Andrew and Philip, saying, hey, we've got a couple of Greek guys that want to meet you, saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies... It remains alone, but if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. This seems to be an in, uh, kind of a... A strange answer to this question. We've got a couple guys that want to meet you. But again, put it in the context. This is a celebrity moment. Everybody's wanting, oh, do you know somebody that could introduce me to Jesus? And Jesus, he speaks this truth. Guys, let me tell you, I'm getting ready to go and give my life. Just like a grain of wheat that goes into the ground has to die before it becomes fruitful, so my life is going to be offered to bring in a harvest of souls. And those that want to meet me, those that truly want to follow me, they're going to have opportunity, but it's not going to be by loving this life. It's going to be by learning to look to me for eternal life. He uses it as a teaching moment to kind of reset the priority and the understanding. But, but not just that they would see it, but also, look, those Greeks, they are welcome. All are welcome. But this is the path. This is the way you come to me. You must follow me first to the cross where you must lay your own life down, where you must lay your own sin, your old man, your old nature, the life that that was in bondage to sin and selfishness. This all must be put at the cross with Jesus so that you can receive the new life, eternal life, life in the spirit the resurrection life that Jesus has to offer us today. Do you see the pathway? Do you see the call? Because a man that loves his life is going to lose it. You see, if it's all about this life and everything is about what you can have now, and this was, understand, that was kind of the energy of the, of the moment there. Everybody was excited about what Jesus was going to do right now. And Jesus saying, what I'm doing right now is so much bigger then the moment I'm saving mankind from sin for eternity. That's what's going on right now. Raise your sights, disciples. 
Remember your calling. Remember what God is up to even right now for our lives. You love your life, you're going to lose it. Jesus says, by contrast, but if you hate your life in this world. Now, he doesn't mean that we would hate life or hate our lives. But in contrast, hate your life in this world and recognize that God is calling me to something of an eternal life. Jesus said, don't store treasure here, store treasure there. It's a priority. It's a perspective. It's an investing in eternal things and beginning to live your life in service to Jesus. Jesus said, if anyone serves me, verse 26, let him follow me. You want to serve Jesus? Follow him. And what did Jesus do? Jesus gave his life into the obedience of the Father, that the Father would be glorified. This is the call for you and me. You want to hear Jesus through the noise of our life and our time and our generation and whatever religious activity we might even think is fruitful? Listen to this. You want to serve Christ? Follow Christ. And Christ lived a life not unto himself. Christ lived a life to the glory of the Father in the service of others. This is the pathway. This is the call. Oh, I'm challenged. Even as as I was reviewing this yesterday, I just had to put it down. Lord, I, I can't do it. I don't even know how to, to, to train my heart in, this, under, to, in this, this way. But by your grace, Lord, help me. Lord, make me more like Jesus. Change this old man. Change this selfish, stubborn guy into somebody that you can use. If you have need of a heart, Lord, I want it to be mine. Lord, I, I, I want you. To, I want to be a worshiper. I want to be one that's available to you. God, I want to be on your agenda. I want to be wired into what you're doing in the earth today. I don't want to miss what God is up to in our time because I'm distracted with my own. Jesus is looking for servants. Jesus is looking for those that will follow him. He goes on there in John 12, verse 32, And if I am lifted up from the earth will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. This is all part of his answer to those those two saying, guys, um, follow me. I'm going to be lifted up, not not in a crown of glory, not in some political leadership. I'm going to be lifted up on a cross. And that's how I'm going to draw them in, through my death and resurrection. I'm going to pay the price for all to come and find peace with God. You know, as we close here today, I'm just thinking of my own heart. I'm thinking of us as a church. I'm thinking of you and I as believers. I want to be dialed in with Jesus. Jesus through the noise. The noise of my own preoccupation, the noise of our time and culture, the noise of the political winds and waves and the division in our nation, the the noise of, of whatever might distract us from just this pure message of Christ. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Learn Jesus. Learn what's on his heart. Hear Jesus. Jesus is our Savior. He is our Lord. Even the early church, you know, when John wrote those letters to the various churches in the book of Revelation, already 
There were churches that needed to be fine-tuned, right? There was a church that thought they were alive, but they're dead, right? There was a church that was doing pretty good and pretty busy in works, but they left their first love. There was another church that thought they were wealthy, rich, and strong, but they were poor, blind, and destitute. You better find Jesus in the midst of this. We better stay close to him. He's our guide. He's our answer. He's our first love. He's our source. And I pray that for my own heart. I pray that for your heart. I pray that for us as a church. I pray this season of Easter will be all about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, amen. Amen. Father, we thank you today for these reminders. And it just, Lord, it just occurs to me that all that was going on, Jesus was above it all. Jesus was walking through it all. Lots of men's ideas, desires, and thoughts. But Jesus, you were tracking in the center of the eternal plan. And the plan was so much bigger and so much better and so much more than any anticipated. They thought you were coming to save a nation. You were coming to save the world. And today we are so grateful that you held your course, Jesus, and it speaks to us. Jesus, we want to join we want to follow you. We want to be on your course. That's the best use of our time, of our life, of our future. As our heads are bowed here today, and just before we partake of communion together, I, I do want to pray if you're here today and you need to respond to the Lord. Maybe you're here today and you've never come to this place of receiving the love of God that's offered to you through Christ. You've not had that which makes for peace. And what makes for peace is Jesus. And you accepting by faith his work at the cross for your salvation. I'd love to pray for you if you want to be forgiven and you want that peace with God. Maybe you're here today and you need to recommit, rededicate your heart to the Lord. Maybe your life has been distracted, if you will, by the noise. And you've lost your, your way with Jesus. You're going through the outward motions. You, you, you know the Lord, but you're not really connected with Jesus the way you desire, the way you know he's speaking to you. I'd love to pray for you too. So if you're here today, you want to receive the Lord or you want to recommit your heart to the Lord, would you just raise your hand so I can see you and I'll pray for you. God bless Number of hands, amen, amen. Got a number of people responding, amen. We see you, amen. Amen on the aisle, amen. We're going to celebrate his table here. This is the invitation, come, just come. Come to Jesus. Anyone else before we pray? Just raise your hand. Let me see it. Raise it high. Amen in the back. God bless you. 
Lord, for these hearts responding to you today, we thank you for this beautiful message of truth that comes to us from the throne of heaven through the life of Jesus, spoken to us afresh and anew by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. God, for each heart here today, I pray that you would meet them with your love and with your grace, that they would open up their heart and say, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me, cleanse me. I want to respond to your invitation of peace. I don't want to miss my time of visitation. This is my moment, Jesus. Come into my life, Jesus, begin to lead and direct my life. Help me to be in step with you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. To view and listen to more sermons, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.